So today I'd like to do a highlights reel of 2 Timothy. I've been living in 2 Timothy for two weeks or so, just reading about a chapter a day and then preaching little sermons to myself from it. So I'd like to do a highlights reel, and I don't anticipate getting all my little highlights done. Let's see how many I got. Little, I have 13 little passages highlighted. So what we'll do is we'll go till uh, we run out of time, and then we'll take it up next time. Is that okay if we do it that way? I mean, that's how you work a job, isn't it? Yeah. Rusty, when you're building something, you don't have to figure out ahead of time exactly how much you're going to get done that day, do you? You work all day, you work hard, and you hang it up at 5, and you go home. Actually, at what time do you go home? He works longer days than that. I just remember working for my, for my uh, father-in-law, Charles. And we were working on a, on a deck or something like that. We we're putting a deck together, and, and, and he goes, well, time to pack it up. And I said, but dude, if we just stay an extra hour and a half, we can get this job finished. So I talked him into it. And when we got home, the women were mad at us. The supper was cold. Kids were all fried, and it didn't go well. And I said, maybe I ought to just do what he says. There's a system. Don't mess with it. All right, first passage that I highlighted is in chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-discipline. Self-discipline. First thing I want to note about this is the whole idea that everyone who loves Jesus, everyone who believes in Jesus, has the Spirit already within them. Because you can't be a believer without the Spirit. But just because you have the Spirit in you does not mean you are full of the Spirit. Amen? Your, how full you are of the Spirit rises and falls with how close to the source of the Spirit you are. Are you with me? And Paul says to Timothy that Timothy has the power, the option. It's it's under the locus of control, to use a modern word, is inside Timothy. He gets to decide how close to God he is. God's already open. God's available. God's 100% wide open. But Timothy gets to choose how close to God he lives. This verse is so empowering. Have you ever lived and you're like, you know, if I just had a different church, if I just had a different whatever, if I just lived closer to some big ministry, if I just could go to that conference, if I could just do this and that and the other thing, then I'd be full of the Spirit. If you've ever had that thought, slap yourself. Have a different thought. Have this thought. God's as close as you give Him access to your heart. He doesn't live in a place. He's not stuck in some church. He's not, in some, he's not out at Bethel. He's not out with Randy Clark's ministry. He's not down in Brownsville. He's not, where, he's not at the ramp. Well, the truth is he's all those places, but he's not only those places. The spirit, in the spirit realm, the only distance is what you give your attention to. God says, you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, you come receive my grace right then and there. Boom, you're home. You're home. One day I, I spent a whole week, I spent a whole week at a conference and all day in the conference, they would teach us the stuff, and then we would do the stuff. They would say, here's what Jesus did. He laid hands on the sick, and he prayed for the sick, and there's a live lizard right here. You see this, people? What happens if that thing goes to the bathroom? That's all I'm saying. That, so there's two lizards in the house today. Very exciting stuff. Is this going to be what we do? We start bringing pets? Bring an aquarium? 
I spent a whole week at a conference, and in the conference, they would teach us to do this. They would teach us the stuff, and then we would do the stuff. They would say, Jesus healed the sick. We can heal the sick. Here, now, now heal the sick. And we'd break up in groups, and we'd try to hear, what, what are you saying? What can I pray for? You'd give a word of knowledge. Uh, I got a picture of a heart beating, and I didn't know if that was spiritual or physical, but I just said it. I see a heart. I see a, a, like a heart beating in rhythm, and I see this stuff, which means I'm going to pray for your heart again. Um, I see a heart beating in rhythm. I don't know what that means, and I see like circles emanating out from it like ripples from a pond. I don't know what that means, but anyone who has heart issues, if you feel like it's emotional and it's for you, then come up. And group of, a little group of people came up, and I prayed for them. We just, in other words, do you see what I'm saying? They would teach the stuff, then we would do the stuff. Morning, noon, and night, we had sessions like that, and I'm telling you, you start doing that kind of stuff, the Spirit draws near. We would also sing to Him. We would pray to Him. They had impartation sessions. Who knows what an impartation is? Show of hands. Who doesn't know what an impartation prayer is? Good, good, good. Okay. So in the Old Testament, there was a scene when Moses had to do all the work by himself. And God's like, let's try something else. He said, I want you to gather these, the elders, the trusted leaders. And what I'm going to do, says God, is I'm going to take from the spirit that's in you and I'm going to pour it out on those other leaders to empower them to do ministry. They're going to have wisdom from heaven to make good, good decisions. They're going to have grit, determination, and power from God to do God's work on earth. That's an impartation. When Moses laid his hands on Joshua, and the Spirit came on him to empower him to now lead the people, that's an impart. He's imparting something that he carries to him. When Elijah imparts the Spirit to Elisha when he dies, a double portion is what he asked for, that's an impartation. When Paul says, the Spirit's in you through the laying on of my hands, that's an impartation. Now, there's two different kinds of impartation in the New Testament. One is the impartation of the baptism of the Spirit, and the second is an impartation of special grace for leadership of some kind of assignment. When Scripture says, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, I don't think they're referring to the reception of the Spirit to belong to the love of God. I think they're saying, don't be hasty to appoint and anoint people to positions of leadership before they have been tested. But both of those are impartation prayers. When they ordained me, I got on my knees right here. It hurt really bad because they took a really long time. and My ankles and knees were killing me. And they prayed a very long prayer, and they put their little heavy hands on my head, their hot, sweaty, heavy hands. And they said, Jesus, help this boy. That's an impartation prayer. Okay. Now, how many of you know I was so full of the Holy Spirit at that week-long thing where we were being trained, they were laying hands on us. I was so full of the Spirit, it was crazy. When I was coming home, how many of you know the feeling of, is this just how it is now? Like, I wouldn't have to pray. The Spirit was just so thick on me. I was, I was half drunk at the restaurant with the Lord's love. Just, you know how you are? When somebody's under the influence of alcohol, they lose their social inhibitions. When somebody's under the influence of the Holy Spirit, because Scripture says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So alcohol is the counterfeit, Holy Spirit's the authentic. When somebody's under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they, we lose our inhibitions. We're no longer shy. We're no longer scared of what you think of me. You know why? The core issue of every heart is, am I loved? Who am I? And I know who I am from my core connections. Connections, connections relationships. Relationships speak to the core issue of, does any, is anyone super happy to see me? Am I bonded emotionally to love? 
Who, who lights up with love? So when I come into the presence of God and I receive his love at a deep, intimate, personal level, receive his love at a deep, personal, intimate level. Pause. Parentheses. My friend Greg says most Christians are not intimate with the Father. They just have doctrine. Unpause. When I'm intimate with the Father and I'm marked by his love, that's, that's where the Spirit flames up. And now I'm so knowing who I am that your lack of knowing who I am doesn't shake me anymore and I'm not intimidated by you and I'm just like, you need to see what I see. I can see you for the first time because now I see me for the first time because I've seen him for the first time. So I started coming home from this conference a whole week of being so full of the Spirit. And I, and I was like, is this just how it is? Is this just like normal now? Oh, my word. And then I had another thought. Oh, no, it's not normal. I'm going to leak him out, and we're going to go back to the way it was. And as soon as that fearful thought hit me, because all I want is you, God. That's all I want. I just want more of you. And as soon as that fearful hot thought hot fit me, thought hit me, what is this, Dr. Seuss? As soon as that thought hit me, oh no, I'm going to leak it out, this verse came to me in the car, God's voice, stir up the gift that's in you through the laying out of my hands. And, all, and it was like the fear went away because I realized, oh, I can just stir up the gift that's in me. I can just be in his presence. I can do the things that got me into the presence in the first place. Holy Spirit's not anybody's property. He goes where he's wanted so I, it's radically empowering. I have access to the lavish grace of God wherever I am, and I can simply go in and receive it. No earning, no striving, no performing, just belonging. And I can just go back into my belonging right now, right here and now. I showed up pretty grumpy this morning, immediately bit John's head off for something because I was just so pressured by my desire to make sure, oh man, there's 40 things I'm responsible for and the kids are late and blah, 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 and I'm pressured, 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 pressured. And that makes me nervous, so I ask for prayer. The reason I ask for prayer is I know that when I'm pressured, I'm in a performance orientation. I'm in a doing orientation. I'm not in a belonging and being orientation. It's really hard for me not to put pressure on you when I feel pressured. Are you with me? Now my motivation of you is coming from shame. Shame on you for not already behaving how I want you to behave. And why am I doing that to you? Because I'm feeling that. I'm not saying God's doing that to me. I'm saying there's a set of things in my brain driving me. I'm responsible for this house. The lights aren't on and blah, blah, blah. Do this and set that up. Why haven't you done this yet? Oh, Jesus, save me. Save y'all from me. Root me in your love. Are you with me? So the first thing I had to do then was apologize to John and the team and and ask them to pray for me. Because this orientation of feeling pressured, which, by the way, doesn't bring the Spirit of God, does it? It's crazy, right? You want to get more done, get more Spirit of God. Get more faith. Get more cooperation with the Lord so that the work isn't done by human power. It says if, a, if the Lord builds the house, Psalm 127. Do you know the verse? If you don't know the verse, it's evidence that like, you, you, like, there's, there's so treasures in there that, that are like awesome that you're about to discover. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it, staying up late, getting up early, pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. If what you're doing isn't coming out of intimacy with the Lord and cooperation and rest, it's human, man-made, temporary, bound to fall. (sighs) Helpful, helpful. Nobody was more productive than Jesus, and he was never in a 
hurry. Move quick, but don't be in a hurry. And, and also drive faster. And use your turn signal for crying out loud and get in the right lane. I'm, now I'm playing. Now I'm meddling. Okay, so the first thing I love about this passage is it's so empowering. You can simply come back to your center of love, receive that love, and get that flame back up again where it belongs. Not work it back up through prayer and fasting and straining. and stuff. That's just not how it works. That's violating the principle of what we're talking about. We're going to pray harder. We're going to do more. I'm going to memorize four, four verses a day. Bro, even the God stuff can't be done in the flesh like that. There's a difference between soul and spirit. Are you with me? One of my favorite talks that uh, one of the speakers gave at the little, little supernatural school I went to, the dude talked about fasting every other day, memorizing, like reading five chapters of, scripture, of Old Testament and this many of New Testament and, and uh, denying himself and getting up at six in the morning. And he was more and more and more and more disciplined. And the more disciplined, the more frustrated he got because it wasn't working. I'm supposed to see miracles and hear God and be intimate. It's the harder he worked, the less he felt like it was working until all of a sudden he had a revelation of what we were singing about today. I'm the beloved. I didn't do anything to earn it. Now I get to sit in it. I get to receive it. I get to remove the issue of earning. See, the kingdom's all about obedience, but never about earning. Never. We put forth an effort, but we never put forth any earning. We're working from the victory. We're working from intimacy. We already have the main thing we were looking for. Peter says that. You are receiving the goal of your, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So when he says get stirred back up, stir that flame back up, it doesn't mean work yourself back into a momentum. No, it's enter back into the Lord's momentum, into Jesus' momentum. Step right. It's an open door. The veil is torn. You have access. Receive. Just get back into the flow. And that flame will come back. Totally empowering. And the second thing is it's gritty stuff. Right in context, Paul says, listen, Timothy, I need you to not be coward. I need you to realize the spirit that God gave you. I need you to get back. I need you to get back in the game and I need you to suffer and join me in preaching the gospel in a hostile environment and getting and taking bullets. It's gritty. It's a warfare verse. Again, unless you know whose you are, their rejection is going to stop you. So I need you to get into this place of knowing whose you are so that you can get back to work. Because as long as you are not knowing who you are, once you're no longer intimate with God, once it's just beliefs and you're not actually intimate with God, now, this, now they're, how they're treating you is going to eat your lunch. And I need you on the front lines again. This is gritty warfare stuff. All right. Are we good? Yeah. Ready for the next one? Yeah. So that was the first one. Second uh, little highlighter, highlights real verse. Man, I'm just, I just pulled one out of chapter one. Look at you guys. We're flying. You're like, well, I don't know if we're flying, but a God-approved craftsman. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Do your best. Ooh, I'm already happy. Do your best. You know how many times we say we've done our best and we haven't even come close to doing our best? Depression was eating my lunch, and my wife says to me, are you sure you're doing everything that you can do. I'm about to have a baby, and you're just emotionally unavailable. 
And I said, what are you talking about? I'm behaving amazingly. If you could see how I feel, you'd be amazed at how I'm behaving. And she just looked at me and he, she says, I'm sick of this nonsense. And only she didn't say nonsense. You can use your imagination. Can you honestly tell me you've done everything you can, she says. So I thought about it. And immediately I realized, actually, I'm not. I'm not running. I'm not taking vitamin D. I'm not disciplined. Huh. There's some things that I'm not doing. I'm doing my best to behave, but I'm not doing my best to transform the tools that are in me with which I behave. Are you understanding what I'm talking? It's like saying, I'm doing the best I can to drive this car. Yeah, but the steering pulls hard right because the front tires got flat. It's, it's flat. You're doing the best you can to drive the car straight, but you're not doing the best you can to put the car in the position where it's easier to drive straight. Change the factors, all the factors. Work on all the little factors. Sometimes it's the changing of the little thing that makes the big difference over the long haul. Sometimes a 3% course correction makes about a 90% change when you make them here and make them here and make them there and they add up. The difference that makes the difference. So do your best to what? Present yourself to God as one who, who as a worker who doesn't have any reason to be ashamed, as, a, to, as one who's approved, rightly handling the word, of the, the word of truth. Now, I don't know how to explain this to you guys, but I feel this verse. I feel this verse. And what I mean is, I, as I sit with scripture, there are passages where I'm tempted to make the Bible easier. Easier for you to handle, easier for me to handle, and it's easy to do if you have half a brain. Right? Because humans, we, all of us humans, we are incredibly good at justifying what we want. We choose with the heart and then we rationalize with the mind. The mind is incredibly good at finding reasons to support the thing our heart has already settled on. You do it, I do it, everyone does it. Now listen, I'm going to say something a little hard. You are beloved, you are valuable, God delights in you. But there's a tendency inside of you and me that is selfish and will ruin our relationships and hijack stuff. If it is not regularly resisted. I, I come from a tradition that says you're amazing, you're incredible, you're, you're just, God is so lucky to have you. Okay, that's talking about our value. That's a totally different subject than our tendency towards sin. You have insane high value. But that does not mean you don't also have a propensity within you to lie to yourself and Paul says, Timothy, this is a godly young man. Amen. Timothy, I need you, I need you to stick super close in your surrender to the Lord because your surrender, your genuine, fresh surrender to the Lord will define your surrender to the Word. Amen. If this shifts, if your surrender to the Lord shifts, your surrender to the Word will shift. Man, I've had people say crazy, dangerous, bad, evil things to me. Like, I love God's presence, I love God's songs, I love God's voice, I hate God's book. No, it doesn't make me want to smack him in the head. It actually makes me sad because we, re we reject what we usually either misunderstand 
um, much of what we are offended by in the book is because we don't yet understand it fully or in its context. And a verse out of context can be misunderstood. But the other thing is we often are formed by our culture in such a way that we are offended by what God thinks and says. And my greatest need is not to feel okay. My greatest need is to please Jesus. Like, if the goal of my life is to please Jesus and surrender to Jesus and walk in the ways of Jesus, he will, I have to trust him, I have to trust him that the one who loves me, we just sang it, the one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. If I don't know that, and if my connection is not with him, what did I just say in the last, in the last chunk? If I'm not bonded to him, I'll be afraid of you. But it's also this way. If I'm not deeply emotionally bonded to the Lord, then whoever I am bonded to, that's where my brain's narratives. And then I'll, and then I'll think to myself, God doesn't love that person as much as I do. And his book, his book, the way his book says to live is unloving. I know better than him. And then, but, but that's not how my brain works. My brain would go, well, that's not what God would say today. So you know the Lord better than the apostles? You know the Lord better than 2,000 years of church tradition? And now you're inventing your own religion and calling it Christianity. And we're Americans, so that's what we do. I do what I want to do when I want to do it, and anyone who tells me different, I vote them out, I unfollow them, I, I slander them online. I do me, I do what I want, nobody tells me nothing, because I'm an American. It's all about me. And by the way, I love this country, just so we're clear. It's my country, I live here. I'm glad I lived here, live here. I don't want to live somewhere else. But there's, a, there's, a, there's an attitude we got to get rid of if we're going to be good followers of Jesus. So, so who, who I'm bonded to will determine the narratives. Do I need to make that clear? Am I, being, am I making sense? Do I need to back up and say it a different, come at it from a different angle? If, if I'm emotionally bonded to the Father, then the Bible, the Bible lands on me, the parts of it that comfort me, I go, yes, Lord. And the parts of it that convict me, I say, thank you, Jesus, hit me again. When you're in love with God and, and bonded with God and you trust God and all you want, Father, all I want is to do your will, then the conviction of the Holy Spirit is pleasurable to you. The tears of repentance are even pleasurable because it feels like I'm getting an upgrade. Just give me an upgrade. All I want is you. But when all I want is to do your will, all I want is to know you. I just want to protect this union I have with you. If, that, if this doesn't stay fresh, then it becomes theoretical and then once that's theoretical, whoever I'm bonded with or whatever I'm bonded with starts to be in charge of these little narratives, these little rationalizations, these reasons, this logic. And now I can find ways to go. Instead of I'm going to seek to please the Lord and be right in the center of your, of your heart, not just what you say, but what, you, what your heart is. And then as this drifts, I start to figure out how close I can get to the line without getting in trouble. I had a friend say that kind of stuff to me. He's like, yeah, I've been drinking lately a lot more than used to, and I, and I probably shouldn't, but you know what? God loves me, and these hypocritical Christians are judging me. And I said, look, I'm real concerned with what you're saying. 
Like other people, you're right, other people can drink and glorify God, but you can't. Right? Alcohol is a blessing. Drunkenness is a sin. It's a sin to be enslaved by anything. Don't use your freedom in a way that harms anyone else. And don't use your weakness in a way that makes everyone else bound by your own personal uh, legalisms. Right? Because if I do what Holy Spirit told me I have to do, it's not legalism. But if I start to impose it on the whole church, it's legalism. So I, that was really fast. Wine's a blessing. Drunkenness is sin. It's a sin to be addicted to anything. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil and harm people. Don't use your weakness as a, a way to lasso the whole rest of the church into, into legalism. But this brother couldn't handle it and shouldn't handle it and never should have touched it, and he was justifying it to me. And then he was mad at the church for judging him for it. Dude, they ain't judging you. They love you, and they can see you're headed for a disaster. And what I said to him was, can you honestly tell me you're, you're, you're seeking to please Jesus and live in the center of his will? Because it seems to me like you're trying to get away with stuff. Your intimacy has shifted, and now you're not like, yes, Lord, I just want to know you. Now it's, what can I get away with? And your brain's justifying. The bond is breaking. And so I'm saying I feel this verse as not just a preacher, as a believer, that it's imperative. The only way I'm going to ever be able to rightly handle the word in public is if my heart is rightly surrendered to the Lord in private. Because if I need you to approve of me, I won't preach what this book says. Are you with me? And I actually believe the Lord's holy and has strong opinions about things. I actually expect that I'm supposed to endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So when the hardship comes, I don't, like, the, the self-pity, it just, come on. Can we cut that out? Can we cut out the self-pity? Boo-hoo, they don't like me? Oh, my word, he promised us that. That's not surprising. Oh, my word, I can't believe people are misbehaving. Dude, don't you misbehave ever? And then the other thing is, it's just like to, to, be a, to be a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed before the Lord. I don't just preach the truth to you. I have to preach the truth to you with the heart of the Father. Not just the truth from the Father, but the heart of the Father. Do you know how much I've screwed this up, guys? I just told you this morning how I came in here like a bit of a wrecking ball. Don't do that. Don't reference that song, Tim. Don't even sing it in your heart, Tim, because I've already got the music. Don't do it. <laughs> now I've done lost my thought because Bunny said I saw it on you and you, I could tell you were messed up first time I need to not just preach the truth of Jesus but I want to I proclaim the truth of Jesus with the heart of Jesus because you can get his mind but miss his heart and then misrepresent him and I've done it so many times I was I, speaking like I was at Teen Challenge one day and the night before, I was furious because a friend of mine who I love, who's not a Christian, was being like, just attacked by people in Jesus' name. And I could, get, scripture is very clear, we'll get to this in a minute, quarrels over words ruin the hearers, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. And these people were saying things like, well, enjoy hell as you serve the devil. First off, You've missed the actual truth of Jesus, but you've way missed the heart of Jesus. I was so mad. I walked into that teen challenge, and I was not ready. I wasn't in a good... I was, so, I was so angry and grieved. I said something like, I wish the church of Jesus would just shut the blank up for about 40 years and figure out how to love before we say a word. Amen. And then I... Don't amen. That's hard. It's way too harsh. 
way too harsh. And then I stood there and felt Jesus looking at me. And you know what the look was on his face? He had raised eyebrows. He had raised eyebrows. I don't like it. And I, was, and I stood there in silence and I said to the guys, I said, guys, I just screwed up and I don't like the way the Lord's looking at me right now. I'm sorry. I've missed his heart. I've prematurely spoken in public before I've worked through the issues and my baggage and, and got his heart. Have you ever done that? Adorable. Have you ever done that? Where you're, you're, you're so fired up about the issues, but you miss the heart of God. And then you got to go back and clean up your messes. And it's like, I could have just built healthy bridges if I... And so, yeah. Bill Johnson says, if we renew our minds, we don't have to watch our mouth. That's right. He's right, isn't he? There's all kind of scripture on that one. So that's a God-approved craftsman. Surrender to the Lord. Genuine brokenness before the Lord. And by brokenness, I don't mean like, I'm terrible. No, I don't mean that. I mean, I am no longer pushing to, to get my way. I want to know what your way is, and I'm sincere. Whatever you say, I trust you more than me. I'm not going to move the ancient boundary stones that you set up for reasons that are bigger than me to be able to see from here. I'm not so arrogant that I'm going to make, make sure we do it all my way because I just came along last year, and now I know better than you know, 6,000 years of humans. Stop. And if you do that, by the way, don't, don't call yourself a Christian. Say, I've invented my own faith, and it's based a little bit on the Bible, kind of like Mormonism, and it's not really Christianity. It's my own thing I've invented. Say it that way, then. Don't claim to be a Christian, and don't say you're following Jesus. Say you're following yourself, because that's what you're doing. Third verse. Highlights. Oh, i got five more minutes. Looks like we are going to take this up later. This one I quote all the time. You know how I like repeated numbers? Like one, 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 three, 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 two, 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 four, 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 one, one, two, two. Who's lost? Are you with me? It's one of the ways the Lord speaks to me is in riddles. Like little breadcrumbs he drops on the ground and I notice and I go, I've been seeing one, 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 one over and over and over like every day repeatedly. I wonder what's up with that. Well, for me, it's John eleven eleven. If I see 3.33 on the clock repeatedly, or if I wake up in the middle of the night and it's 3.33, I know it's Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and answer me, and I, call to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and wonderful things that you don't even know. And if I see 2.2.2.2, two, 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 you know what I think? Oh, bro, that's 2 Timothy 2.22, which says this, flee. Retreat. I always wondered why Christians called their little things retreats. I'm like, shouldn't we be calling, yelling, charge? And why are we always going, we're going to have a retreat. Run away. What is this, Monty Python? <laughs> so flee. But there is stuff we're supposed to run away from. Flee youthful passions. Okay, youthful passions. Urgent, eager desires that end up being very, very damaging. Run away. You ain't supposed to stay and fight it. You're supposed to run away. I've really been struggling with sin. Okay, I understand what you're saying, but maybe don't struggle. Maybe run away. Maybe, maybe get rid of the phone. Maybe get rid of the computer. Maybe, how can you run away instead of stay and fight and wrestle with sin? Wrestling with sin is a bad long-term strategy. 
Running away, I know it's very hot. Running away is a much better strategy, but the air conditioner's not keeping up. It's turned to 69, and it's like 73 degrees in here. Um, we just need, what's his name, uh, Carl? Carl Bone, yeah. We just need him to work his little magic. Oh, we don't have the money? Holy Spirit, please hear our cry. It's a small thing. It's not a need. It's a want, but we trust you with the wants. Okay. So flee. Flee. Run away. Get out. Don't get near. Don't, again, I'm over here by the line going, oh. Let's just, let's just be right here and dream about what it would be like to be in. No, what are you doing? Run away. Run away. And then not just run away because, again, fighting sin is a bad long-term strategy. It's maybe a necessary short-term strategy in the moment, but it's not a good long-term strategy because what you fight is still what you focus on, and what you focus on is what grows big in your understanding. And if you label yourself, I am an alcoholic, and you live with reference to it and count the number of days you're sober and think about it, it's way more likely that you're drawing identity from it and you're likely to go back to it eventually. Because now you're sin waiting to happen because you haven't shifted in your identity. You're not just, you don't just want to flee, detach. You want to run after something instead. Put your focus on what you're running after. Are you with me? Yeah. The greatest power to break sin in your life is the love of Jesus. Amen. Not sin fighting, not rules, not righteous behavior, not new attitudes that you're adopting, not discipline. Discipline's amazing and I want you to de- develop it. But the greatest power to break sin in your life is intimacy with Jesus and knowing you're not under law, knowing that he's going to love you even if you screw up today. If you think that it all depends on you, then you'll be so pressured to perform and that thing will dominate you. Paul says the law provokes the flesh. So sin springs to life when it hears God's command, don't do it, don't do it. And the flesh says, oh, that's the only thing I want to do now that you mention it. And grace works totally different. It shifts the focus from the need to perform to belong, and it says, you belong. Now, now get your eyes off that topic and get your eyes on to Jesus who loves you, accepts you, embraces you, pursues you, and has everything for you. Look at me. Don't even think it. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Pursue. Run away from that, but run after righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Look at, look at this. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Look, I'm not telling you you have to ghost all your old friends who still get together on Friday, smoke cigarettes, drink alcohol, listen to country music, and talk bad, and the longer the night goes on, the dumber they get and the worse it gets. I'm not saying you can't be their friend anymore. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Luke 15, he hung out with sinners at those parties, but that wasn't his inner circle. You need a new inner circle. Stay in friendship with those people. Love those people. But you need an inner circle of people whose hearts burn for Jesus. And then it says, just go get together with them and then run hard after Jesus together. Can you imagine an, an, a non-official, non-like church official small group, just a group of people who got together. Someone brought a guitar. You sang to the Lord, not so you could be like, that's a great song, but to sing to the Lord. And you prayed for each other. And somebody said, this is what I'm getting out of my Bible recently. And this is what I'm going through recently. And you were just normal people, but Jesus is your priority. And being with those people creates a a, a social current, a culture, if you will. And it's like stepping into a stream that's headed the right direction. And when your core group is this other group, you're paddling as your hard as you can upstream against the current of your friends. They're ruled by the very things you're trying to resist. 
And you're like, ah, but but Jesus is a friend of sinners. Yes, he is. But his inner circle is over here. And in this place, he's still paddling, but he's gently paddling and he's going like, because the power of community headed in the same direction to like accelerate your growth and progress and power and freedom is crazy. And some people are in this environment and then they don't realize they've done it. They, they grow cold toward the church. They grow cold toward the church for various reasons. Oh, oh they, they let me down. They didn't call me. They didn't do this. They hurt my feelings. I got real sad. So now I'm not going to do that anymore. And then they justify this as being superior, de-churched as being superior to that. Friend, I just haven't seen people move in the power of the Spirit in, the, in their calling in that environment. Work through what you got to work through. Forgive who you got to forgive. And then join some crappy church and get on with it. Because they ain't got another kind. There's only crappy churches. And the world's even worse. So, you know. Expect to be sinned against and expect to sin against others and then apologize for it and keep short accounts. And this is the, this is the game. This is the fight we're in. Run away from sin. Stay friends with your non-Christian friends. Stay friends with them. Don't ghost them. Don't be rude to them. Don't be mean to them. Don't divorce them. Stay friends with them. But get an inner circle that's running hard after Jesus and run after Jesus. That's pretty much all we have time for today. You ready? We'll take up next time with no quarreling, a bunch of other stuff. We'll take up next time. Let's pray. Our prayer team can come up while I'm praying. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your book. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love. We ask God that you would let us know so deep in our spirits, I'm loved. I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. I ask that you'd strip away the stuff of performing in order to be approved and you'd let us come and receive your affection and then from that place say, okay, it's my goal to stay in sync with you today. Let me stay in sync with you today. Let me stay close to you. I did want to share, because we've talked about it before, you know, we want to share more testimonies to encourage you guys, and I forgot to share this, but it was just a couple weeks ago, um, it was Tobin, little Tobin. <laughs> um, I don't think you were here, Eric, but Janae was getting prayer, and, and Tobin had fallen out in the bushes, and thorns, you know, had, had punctured uh, his skin. And so he was, he was crying. I would have been crying, too. I was like, oh, my gosh. And, but I wanted Janae to still be able to get prayer. So I said, come with me. I'll take you to the bathroom, and we'll clean your hands up. And um, so we're in the bathroom, and I just said a very simple, Jesus, please heal him. So he's got the paper towel in his hands, and we're making our way to the kitchen, and Carrie saw us, and I was like, Band-Aids tend to make things better. <laughs> and so I was like, can we get... Can, can you help us? Are there Band-Aids? I don't know how many we'll need, but... And so I think she was in the kitchen getting the Band-Aids, and we take the paper towel off. <laughs> there was nobody more floored than me. <laughs> and we looked at his hands, and he's there was nothing there. Like, it was gone. <laughs> there were no puncture marks, and I'm like, he starts laughing. He starts laughing, and he is making a beeline back to mom like he has to show her. And she's like, what happened? And he's like, Jesus, heal me. Or, or, I think that's what he said. And I'm still going, what just happened? 
But that's childlike faith, isn't it? Like he had no doubt. <laughs> it could have been anybody that was in there. It wasn't because it was me. It could have been anybody in there. It was his faith. It was his faith. And, um, and just one other one I wanted to share because this is, I had to have a um, cardiac monitor implanted. And um, I looked at YouTube and I was like, oh, this is simple. <laughs> and I left there feeling like somebody had taken a sledgehammer to my chest <laughs> and my arm. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And so I, I put it on our prayer um, group and... And then Carl, he saw it, and he just lives around the corner from us. So he came over, and, and, and he prayed, and, and our prayer team was praying. Because that night before, oh, my goodness, I did not sleep good at all. It was so uncomfortable. And uh, the next morning when I woke up, it's been like unless I touch that area, I'm good. And so it's even things like that. No, I wasn't in horrific pain and needing pain medication, but God cares even about those little things that were creating an inconvenience. So if you need healing in your body or your mind, please, please, please come up. Rusty and Alex are over here. They want to lay hands and, and come into agreement with you and, and pray for you.